Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is on the air. Never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is a call to arms for those American patriots who, in the tradition of our founding fathers, will stand up now to defend the Constitution and the liberties that it guarantees to each citizen, to each of us. That is our mission, to explain in a clear and concise manner the direct effect of each issue on the individual, on you personally not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin. This is Dr. Dan. Those of you who have been listening to Freedom Forum Radio for several years or more, know that it has been our custom to interview a local pastor and spouse about the meaning of Christmas and the family traditions they grew up with and continue to use in our own time. It served as a respite from discussions about the enormous chasm in our nation, our current cold civil war, which defies a peaceful resolution. Unfortunately, I cannot do it this year. It was a great tradition, but the United States is facing its national Armageddon. Is internal armed conflict inevitable? Can the bloodshed that occurred 160 years ago be avoided? I just don't know. I really don't know. What I do know is that there is way too much at stake, and I mean right now, to relax, to pause, or even take a 30-minute break in our battle to resurrect, regain, and reassert our natural law rights as guaranteed by the Constitution. For centuries, the nation-states of Europe waged constant wars for power and wealth. Fortunes were spent and countless lives lost as part of a perpetual game of chess played by arrogant monarchs to satisfy their adolescent whims and territorial quests. Absolutely no consideration was given to the plight of common men and women, except for their usefulness or uselessness to the selfish desires of their rulers. While we cannot know for certain the intentions of our nation's founders, we do have abundant historical evidence mostly in their written words and deeds, that the philosophy of the United States was based on individual sovereignty and freedom. Monarchy was expressly forbidden along with the mechanisms of governance that would allow one single man or small cabal to rule over everyone. So what do we know? Well, here are a few things we do know. Our nation was founded on Judeo-Christian principles. The natural law rights of each sovereign individual, divine in origin, were to be protected and secured by the government. The totality of one's private property was one's land and home, possessions, 
the work of one's hands, the ideas of one brain, and one's life itself. Private property, as defined above, was to be the basis for individual freedom. The Constitution was a contract between 13 sovereign states and their citizens individually and the central government, which was the creation of the Constitution and not a party to it. The central government was given the authority in Article 1, Section 8, only to perform a limited number of tasks, and every other governmental power remained with the states and their citizens. The central government was to act to promote the general welfare of the nation and its citizens, and that no single group or individual should benefit to a greater or lesser degree than any other. The concept was very simple. Live and let live. It was a recipe for the long-term survival of a nation of sovereign individuals. The battle lines are now clearly drawn, and the nation is severely divided in an angry and hateful manner. One side, true patriots, demands the return to the constitutional governments of America. The other demands that the individual give up his natural law rights, the constitutional dictates of limited federal power, and his individual freedom. They demand that we submit to the rule of an elitist oligarchy whose only interest is self-enrichment. They desire to return to the time when kings and czars played their games of greed and power while the common folks paid the price in misery, subjugation, slavery, and blood. They demand the destruction of the constitutional republic given to us 230 years ago and all of the God-given natural law rights it guaranteed to each of us. As has happened before in our nation's history, true patriots must rise up and defend the legacy of individual freedom, not so much for us, but for our children and future generations. Rekindle the passion of our founders who pledged their lives, fortunes, and sacred honor to rid America of the tyranny that ruled it. And that's my opening, opening monologue. Uh, we'll take a commercial break and come back with our guest, Colin McQuay. My guest on Freedom Forum Radio is Colin McQuay. And first, before we listen to what he has to say, I want to tell you that he has written a fantastic book that I recommend to all of you. The title is A Citizen on the Constitution, Consent, and Communism, subtitled A Modern Discussion About Constitutional Originalism and How Socialism is Illegal Under Our Constitution. Uh, that's the title of this book. Uh, I recommend it to all of you. But most importantly, I recommend you listen to what Colin McWay has to say. We're going to have a thorough discussion uh, as part of uh, this interview about the book and his philosophy about government. So first of all, 
Colin McWay, the, the first chapter in this book is t- entitled A Little About Me. And I think that's a great place to start, don't you? Perfect, Dr. Nan. And thanks very much for having me on the show. It's, a, it's an honor, and I really appreciate all the work that you do out there. So I think that, you know, what I try to get across in, uh, in the book in general is that the Constitution is really our Constitution as a people. And the most important thing about me is I'm just a citizen. I'm not uh, a quote-unquote constitutional lawyer. Uh, I'm just somebody that really cares about the country. And as I saw it going in the wrong direction, uh, really undertook a multi-year process of really understanding our founding and where all those principles came from. So uh, from an education background, uh, I am not a particularly educated guy. I uh, like to say that I graduated 365th out of a class of 342 from East Catholic High School in Manchester, Connecticut. Um, But I've always been a big, big history buff. And uh, early on, my interest in history was much more around military history, the Revolutionary War and the Civil War and World War II, etc., and uh, read and study that to this day. Back about 10 years ago, uh, a good friend of mine gave me a book called Liberty and Tyranny by uh, Mark Levin, uh, the famous radio host, and really set me down this path of uh, doing in-depth study on all of our founding documents from uh, really going back to Burkean and Lockean uh, principles that, that influenced uh, the founders and then all the work around the framers. And when I talk about founders, it's really kind of uh, Declaration of Independence stuff and framers, uh, you know, constitutional time period. Uh, you know, doing all the research around the, the Federalist Papers and the Anti-Federalist Papers. Um, uh, I've studied constitutional law, quote-unquote, But in my book, what I've done is specifically stay away from constitutional law because I think that that is a rat hole that doesn't describe where we're supposed to be, right? You can, one plus one does not equal three, and that's where constitutional law gets you. So the purpose of the book is to just say, hey, look, the, the, uh, the country was founded in a very particular way with very particular principles, and let's kind of look at that through today's lens and see how far askew we are. I think what's really critically important uh, for me to point out right now is that you did study history. And that, to me, is critically important for anyone who wants to understand our nation, how it came to be, how the the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution were written, and what the consequences of not sticking to those basic principles has cost us over the last hundred years or so that departure from those principles is what has gotten us into the mess. And mess is a very mild thing to, to say because it's much more than a mess. But it has gotten us into this absolute terrible situation that we're in right now. People are not learning history. They have forgotten history. But you did your homework before you wanted to write this book. That is what's most impressive about this book is that it's based upon your study of all of those important things that form the foundation for what is the greatest nation on earth. That's right, Dr. Dan. And I think the other, the other thing that was a big influence in, in writing the book was uh, my wife, who, you know, sitting around watching the TV and screaming at the TV every night, and she said, you know, why don't you write a book? So I'm like, all right, I will write a book. So I took all that knowledge I had accumulated uh, and put it to work. 
Well, what's interesting is, is that uh, screaming at the TV is, is, is obviously a pastime that many of us are involved in at this moment. That's right. Uh, I, I really don't know how many TVs have been actually broken in the, as part of this process, but I did read that someone very brilliantly came up with some bricks made out of foam that you can buy so you can throw them at your TV uh, and not break the TV but maybe release some of the anger. I have to congratulate you, though, Colin McWay, because obviously writing a book is a much more productive way of getting rid of that anger because you can pour out your heart and your soul on pages, but you've done so from the basis of knowledge and history, which is obviously very impressive. Yeah, and I think where, where it kind of gets me, too, is to the point where uh, if, you, if you really want to um, be intellectually honest, the only way that you can interpret the Constitution is from an originalist perspective. It's, there's just no other intellectually honest way that you can, that you can interpret it. And, in fact, it doesn't need interpretation. It's, it's prima facie. It's, it's all right in front of you. And I think, importantly, uh, the country has, uh, and, and to this day, people talk about our founding principles, and it's really become more hyperbole than people actually understanding what those principles are and how those principles are the context under which the Constitution needs to be understood. Well, you say originalism, and by that I would say textualism, which is a better way of describing that, uh, and I know what you're talking about. Um, textualism really means that you go by the written word in, on the pieces of paper that our founders wrote the Constitution. They wrote words. Words have meaning. If you have any question about the meaning of those words, the only valid way of understanding is to get a dictionary that was written in 1770 or 1780 because that's what tells you what the words meant at that time. And there's a lot of good examples of how some of those words in the original Constitution have different meanings today because words do change. But if you're going to read the words, you have to understand what the framers understood those words to mean. And you made a comment which I think was really important, and I know we're going to get into it a lot, and that is uh, constitutional law. One and one is three. And that's what our problem is, isn't it? it completely. I mean, that if you look at some of the important cases, you just have to scratch your head. And, you know, my least favorite of them is, is Wickert, which really kind of gets us to the, um, the kind of complete nanny state that we have today where uh, a person choosing not to participate in the markets is participating in the markets because that decision influenced the markets. And that's just turning the world on its head and has given the government so much of its power that it shouldn't have. Um, my influence, really, in, from a constitutional point of view, is, is Bob Levy, who's the chairman of the uh, Cato Institute, and he wrote a really fascinating book uh, called uh, The Dirty Dozen, The Twelve Worst Supreme Court Decisions of All Time, and of course, Wickard versus Filburn is in there, and it starts, of course, with Dred Scott and goes up through Kilo, Kilo versus Connecticut, and what we've seen here in the Supreme Court, and I and I need your comment, obviously, on this, is the fact that the justices and the, in the entire federal court system, instead of obeying 
the written words in what was a contract, okay? Instead of obeying those words, someone interpreted them, and then instead of going back to the words, they go back to the interpretation. And it's kind of like that game that kids play where you tell a secret at the beginning, and by the time you get to the other end, whatever was said in the first place has no relationship or is no way similar to what comes out the other end. And that's what's happened to, our, to us with our legal system. Yeah, and they, you know, they hide behind precedent. And, you know, I, I touched on this in, in the book, Dr. Dan. Um, the precedent is the Constitution. And I'd like to add something to your point around textualism. I think that part of that necessarily needs to be the context, too, because you can't understand the Constitution unless you understand the Declaration of Independence. Because the Declaration of, of Independence is kind of the embodiment of what it means to be an American. And the Constitution enshrines those principles in law. And one of the things I do throughout the book is point very specifically back to the Declaration and say, because we said this in the Declaration, here's the manifestation of that in the Constitution. And there are any number of places that we can get into where this happens. So it's not just what did the word mean at the time? It's why did they use that word? What was the thought behind it? Why, what were they trying to do or prevent from happening that caused them to use those words? And, and going back to, the, to, to Wickert, um, and again, I, you know, I purposely stayed away from uh, constitutional law in the book, but uh, the word among in the Commerce Clause meant among the states. One of the reasons, and if we look back at the uh, what led to the Philadelphia Convention, which was the Annapolis Convention, which predated it by several months, that was kind of a failed convention. Only a small handful of the 13 colonies showed up. Um, but they were specifically brought to Annapolis to solve trade problems. And those trade problems were uh, around the states taxing each other and preventing the free flow of goods between the states. So when the Constitution was framed by, by Madison and others, they used the word among the states as opposed to with foreign governments, right? They said with foreign governments among the states because that's the problem they were trying to solve for. And when we understand the flow of the, the history that gets us from the, the war to, you know, the, the, the uh, Articles of Confederation and then trying to solve for that, um, we see how we, uh, we've gone so far astray when we understand the context. Another good point there. And, and what I want to say along those lines is some people like to think about the intent. Uh, intent is something that you can only infer. No one really knows what was in the minds of anybody. But by reading all of those documents, the, the, his, the historical documents, you can you can get a much better picture of what was going on at the time. This is a point that you already brought up, which I think is critical. You can't just read the words of the Constitution because the words of the Constitution are fact. But if you want to understand a little better, a little deeper what's going on, you look, you read things like the ratifying, the minutes of the ratifying conventions in the states when they sent this, this document back to the states and say, are you going to okay this? Well, that's where people were speaking their minds, and that's where you get a really good idea of what's go what was going on in the country at that time. How did our Constitution get to be written? And thank God, how did that Bill of Rights get appended there, the first ten amendments to the Constitution? So um, you've, you've given us a pretty good – and one other word, by the way, regulate. 
you know, regulate is a really good word, which means different now right. than it did then. Regu- Much more organized. To make, to, make, to make to flow smoothly in an organized fashion is what it meant 230 years ago. Right, right now it meant a bureaucrats. Se- bureaucrats sitting, a, a thousand bureaucrats sitting in a room making up, making up re- regulations over which we have no control. That's right. So uh, I've been speaking with... Uh, uh, Colin McWay, who has written a very, very fascinating book, A Citizen on the Constitution, Consent and Communism, a modern discussion about constitutional originalism and how socialism is illegal under the Constitution. I urge you to get that book, an incredible book, something you need to read to understand what's going on in our country. And that concludes another episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Join the battle on our website, www.drdansfreedomforum.com. The right to own private property that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral right and constitutional basis for individual freedom. Everything going to be all right this morning. (laughs) 